thank you all who have had a part in our service so far and the time you put in just to, to help us to stand and sit in wonder and awe at a risen Savior. And now we're going to uh, turn in our Bibles now to consider uh, the resurrection from another point of view as well. Uh, start off with, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. And here the Apostle Paul is praying now, he's praying directly for the church that uh, existed in the city of Ephesus, but really I think it's for those uh, who are reading, whoever his readers are that are, are believers reading these words. This is Paul's prayer, you could say, for us. So beginning in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So here he's, he prays that his readers, that we, if we're believers, would have light shine on the eyes of our heart, our inner person. In other words, that you'd be able to truly see the reality of the way things are. The extraordinary, the overwhelming power of the resurrection. He says that's where this power was demonstrated. And then it started with Jesus rising, having been condemned to death for sinners and bearing eternal death for sinners raised from the very lowest place where he went on our behalf, out of death, to life, to the place being seated at God's right hand with authority over every other power that exists. Paul's prayer is that we would start to get a, an idea of that in our hearts. And notice he prays this not to, for unbelievers, but for believers which indicates to me that, that we can live unaware of enormous strength that is not only near us, but in us and acting on our behalf. He talks about this power that is directed toward you. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead to be seated at the very highest place. How often are we really aware that God is acting for us, toward us, with that kind of power. How often are we just, it just passes us by. We, we live life just in our own strength, our own power, our own ability to grasp and understand when he says, God has this kind of power acting toward you and in you. So if that can happen to us, just imagine what happens if you are near and exposed to that kind of amazing power, but you don't believe. How easy it would be for it to be there 
with you, and yet you miss it altogether. Specifically, imagine if you were one of the brothers of Jesus, the children of Mary and Joseph. We know that Jesus was virgin-born, so he was only the child of, of Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he had siblings who were Mary and Joseph's children. What was it like to grow up and to know this man, this child, and growing into a man, Jesus. But how, how, would you, how would you grasp this idea that he had died and risen from the dead? I'd like this morning to try to voice for one of his brothers, James, what that might have been like. What was it, what it would be to have unknowingly, really, unbelievingly anyway, lived and known God in human flesh and seen him through all of that right into the resurrection. So I'm, I'm going to try to give voice to James, speaking in the first person for him. In your outline, there are, there's uh, different areas where I, I'm going to take us as scriptures. I'm not going to turn to those scriptures as we go. You can turn to them now or you can go and look at them later. But trying not to stray from the Scripture. And so the things I've got to say are are based out of there with maybe a little bit of speculation of what it would be like as a human being to experience these things. So So here's James. You know, of all the people who were impacted by the resurrection of Jesus Myself, my brothers, maybe had the hardest time really believing. I mean, he was so familiar. He was so close. He was family. He was our brother. I mean, growing up, I certainly had nothing to complain about Jesus himself. he He was a great big brother. He always treated us kindly, was always looking out for us, taking care of us. Of course, sometimes I would get a little annoyed because of the comparisons between us and him. How do you live up to a brother like that? Always doing the right thing, always being kind and helpful and and doing what he ought to be doing. Of course, it wasn't his fault. But there was my own sense of guilt when I did what was wrong, and he was always there doing the good thing, doing the right thing. In fact, the only time in our whole growing up years I remember anything that was really a problem was that time when he was 12, and we went to to Jerusalem like we always did to the Passover, right? We were were quite a ways on the way home when our, our mom and dad realized he wasn't with us. And they had to go back, and they had to find him, and they looked for him all over. And I heard them say that he told them, Did you not know that I had to be about my father's house, or be in my father's house, be about my father's business? I started thinking that my older brother was not like other people. What do we mean, his father? We, We had the same father, didn't we? What was he talking about? What was going on here with this, this person I'd known since I was born. And, and 
and yet after that it was it was fairly normal in the sense that our, our father passed away as we were growing up and and he stepped in and he took care of our mother and he worked hard and and, and we you know stepped into the carpentry business together as as good sons would do and follow in their father's footsteps and and, and there was a time though rather than leading us in those things in the home and the things in the local synagogue, Jesus, he left. We had a cousin who's kind of a little bit strange, lived down in Judea. His name was John. He started preaching out in the wilderness about make way for the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we heard stories about him doing that, and it seemed a little odd. And, and, and John always was. We didn't know him well because he lived down in Judea, but he was a little unusual. And, but then Jesus leaves. He goes to Judea. And we heard stories coming back about John baptizing him and, and, and unusual things happening and and interactions, and he goes, and he leaves the rest of us, and there were, there were plenty of us. There's the three of us brothers still left behind, our sisters to care for our mother. But it was odd that he left us like that. And he goes to Judea, and the stories come back, and, and then he comes back to Nazareth, up in the north where we lived, and he brings a group of followers or disciples with him, and he's teaching them as though he were a rabbi. But he's, he's just a carpenter like us. How is it that now he is he's a rabbi teaching them about the things of God, teaching them about the, the, the holy scriptures, the holy writings and the prophets? And as those things moved on, there was a, not long after that, we all went together to a family wedding. Someone close to us in Cana, not too far from Nazareth, and, and Jesus and this group of followers came along to that wedding too. And, and their mother was very involved in the wedding, and, and, and some, some, for some reason they, they hadn't planned well. They ran out of wine early on in this, this multi-day uh, celebration the wedding is in our culture. No wine, that, that's, that's, that's just not done. It would be a major embarrassment for the family, especially for, for the, the father of the groom, to be without wine at the wedding. And, and I remember watching my, my mother go to Jesus with complete confidence with this problem she had. And she had learned to rely on him over these years. But there was something different about the way she came to him and, and just said, they don't have any more wine. And then she tells the son, just whatever he says, you do. Just, she just totally laid it on him. And, and though he tried to say, my time isn't now, I didn't know what that meant, but he told them to, to pour water into these containers and, and then dip some out and take it to the person who is in charge of the wedding feast. And, wa and watched his face as he said, oh, you've saved the best wine until now. It's not done. You usually wait until people have drunk 
you know, the other, you know, rent the good stuff, and then you can bring out the cheap stuff because people won't know the difference so much. But whatever he did to that water, it became the best wine that we tasted. And that was the beginning of unusual things happening. It wasn't long after that that we went to the Passover in Jerusalem. And when we got there, I was mortified because Jesus went into the temple. And in the temple courts, the, the, the priests had set up, had allowed to be set up a place where people could go in and they could buy a pre-approved Passover lamb and, and other sacrifices and things. And Jesus went in there and he, he turned their tables over. He chased them with whips. He kicked them all out of the temple court. And he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. I was shocked. I slipped back into the crowd. I mean, he was right. What they were doing was wrong, to, to bring all those animals and to turn a place of worship of the true God in, into a place where they were making money off the people out that way. But that he went so boldly, that he, he, he did it as though he owned the place. He says, it's my father's house. And I kind of stepped back to just kind of, kind of watch what my big brother was doing. Because it, was, it seemed a little strange. In fact, as time went on, he began doing more and more things. He'd been traveling to other places, especially over to Capernaum. And, and word started coming back that Jesus was performing miracles. He was touching people, and though they'd had terrible diseases, they were made well instantly. He was driving demons out of people that were totally controlled by these evil spirits. And word came back about great crowds of people following after. Wherever he went, they, they followed him, and they pressed in on him. And, and, and it just didn't make sense to us that this, this man who we'd grown up with and our quiet little part of Israel was now being sought out by people all over the country. People were hounding him. They were there crowding him. We heard that he it was so bad he couldn't even, he and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. So we began to, weather, began to wonder whether he was really okay. Maybe something was wrong with him. Maybe he was out of his mind. And so we intended to go over to Capernaum where we'd heard he was and get a hold of him and make him come back to Nazareth with us so we could protect him, so we could take care of him. And we tried. We got to where he was, but we couldn't even get inside the house where he was at because the crowds were so great. We couldn't get close enough to talk to him. And, and, and when we sent word through the crowd that we were there, we heard that he said as he was looking around at those who were sitting with him. Behold, my mothers and my brothers. He pointed to these other people who were there with him. And he said, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Honestly, I got to tell you, I was, I was kind of angry when I heard about that. 
these people who were just surrounding him, just following him, harassing him, I thought, they are your brothers? They are your mother? Who are you, Jesus? I thought I knew you all these years growing up with you. And then eventually he did come back to Nazareth. He came and he, he taught. He was allowed to teach in the synagogue. Very, very odd, I thought, that here the carpenter of Nazareth. But he'd been doing more teaching, more traveling, more miracles, and people wanted to hear what it was he had to say in our hometown. A word came back about those great crowds, and, 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 and so people were, yeah, let's, let's hear what this new rabbi has to say, even though he's, he's the one we've always known. It was, it was, his teaching was amazing and, and yet, yet confusing. He, he taught with an authority that was so different than the other rabbis I'd heard. With a confidence, he, he spoke, and he didn't have to quote all the previous rabbis. He didn't quote all the writings of the elders, but he spoke with authority of well, what the scriptures said. We never heard anything like that. In fact, he came and, and on that Sabbath day, as they, ha they handed him the scroll to read, the, the, the reading for that day, and it was the prophet Isaiah. And as it spoke about him, he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He said that Isaiah's word about the one who would come and would have the Holy Spirit on him and, and would, would set people free was himself as he sat there in front of us all in the synagogue. And we were all wondering where this wisdom came from. Where, where was this gracious speech from in the, in the carpenter of Nazareth? Where did he get the ability to do miracles, to make people well, to cast out demons? He was just one of us. I mean, why Jesus? Why not Joseph or Simon, Judas, myself, his brothers? Some of the leaders actually voiced that. The people were saying that as it says, he's the carpenter. What is it that he's doing here? And he rebuked them. <laughs> he told them, Prophets without honor only in his own town. He rebuked them that they didn't recognize him for who he would be, and they took him and tried to throw him off a cliff. I was shocked. I was, I was wondering what was going on here. And I thought, I'm going to lose my brother because of the things he said. And, and somehow he just kind of slipped away. I, I don't know how it happened. He was there one minute that headed toward the cliff, and the next minute I wasn't sure where he was. And so the, the whole time that Jesus was, was going about preaching and the different things that he was doing, we kept hearing about. We heard people arguing about, is, is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? The anointed one that we've been expecting or not? And there was a time before the Feast of Booths came. And, and he'd been in, in, down in Judea, around the area around Jerusalem before this. And, and he'd come back. And been around for a while, and, and, and my brothers and I, now we found out later that the religious leaders had been trying to kill Jesus for the things that he was saying. We didn't really know that, 
But we were a little unsure. We were kind of, we were kind of uh, provoking him. We were, we were saying, well, if a person does these kind of things, he does them out in the open. How come you're back here kind of hiding around in, in Nazareth? Go down to the feast. Go down let the people hear what you have to say. Go to Jerusalem. And then you can become famous. I'm not sure if we were just making fun of him or maybe we hoped he would become famous and we could just kind of ride in on that. But he said, no, your, your time is always now. My time is not yet here. And so we went on down to the Feast of Booths. We went down to Jerusalem to celebrate with the relatives and all of the people down there. And I heard he came, and then he came along later. But it was clear then that, that things were starting to really turn against him. That, the, that the, the religious leaders didn't appreciate the fact that he, he was not afraid to tell them when they were doing things wrong. He wasn't afraid to point them to the prophets and to the Psalms and the writings and say, you aren't following your own things, your own books. You are not following the God who called you aside for, out for himself. And then there was that, that final... Passover. I wasn't with Jesus. Jesus celebrated the Passover not with our family group that was down in Jerusalem, but he celebrated it with his disciples. Heard they had a, 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 an upper room somewhere set aside. And I didn't mind that too much because I remembered some of the previous Passover, the two, a couple of Passovers before that when he'd, he'd caused such a stir in the temple and thrown everyone out of, of, of the were selling things. I decided probably better to keep my distance from Jesus at this feast. It might not be safe for me or for the rest of our family. And then, then I heard, hear the word that, that he's arrested and in fact condemned to death that I didn't go to see that. I kept things at a distance. I, I, I heard... about what happened and how he was so severely beaten, my, my brother, to where he was not recognizable. I was afraid. I didn't want to be the next one in line. Maybe because I was family. They'd go looking for us. And so I wasn't there after they nailed him to a cross hung him up there to, to be tortured to death. My brother was dying. The things he was doing I didn't understand, but he didn't deserve to die. He was the kindest and, and best person I knew. I didn't understand him. And so I wasn't there as he was dying. And my, my mother was there. She went. She faithfully was there, and, and, and while he was dying on that cross, he looks down at her, and his, one of his close followers, John, that he entrusted my mother into John's care. Not mine. I wasn't there while he was dying. 
And he died. He died that horrible death with things happening, darkness for three hours, earthquakes, people amazed and, and wondering. But, but what I mostly realized was that my brother was dead. And I didn't know why. I didn't, I, I'm not sure I even knew who he was at this point. He was, he was my brother and I'd lost him. And, and so, so I'd, as you do when someone dies, I just started thinking about his life. All of the things I'd seen and experienced with him, how I'd known him. And a lot of things I thought about. And I was just trying to process it all. And, and I started hearing strange reports. There were some women who said that they were, they went to the, to the place where they buried him, and he wasn't there. His body was gone. They said angels had said he was alive again. And I, I was like, alive? How, how can, I, I knew he was dead. I'd heard about it. And I was trying to, to make sense of that, and then his disciples started talking. I saw some of them, and they said, no. We've seen him. He is alive. He's not dead any longer. In fact, in fact it's better than anything because he, he truly is the Messiah. In fact, he is the Son of God. And, and, and I was trying to, to process, trying to figure it all out. And then came that day. Jesus showed up to talk to to me. Just me. You know, certainly I know I, I hadn't done anything to, to make him single me out for any special attention. Yet he came. And he spent time and he helped me to understand who he really is. And what had really happened. I'd grown up knowing God in the flesh. His infinite power was there all along, and I couldn't see it. I couldn't see him for who he was. He was just so familiar. His resurrection accomplished forgiveness of sins and salvation for all who will believe in him. But it also accomplished in me an opening of my eyes to truly see myself as the sinner that I am and understand God for who he truly is and how he loved us so much that he would come and live with sinners like me and actually die for me, for us. Changed my life, everything about me, Turned from there. I became an entirely different man. My life took a whole different course. So leaving James' voice behind, you ask, changed? Well, what happened to James? Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 14 tells us that he was with the apostles, with his mother and his brothers, after Jesus ascended back into heaven. 
he had now become part of this group that had been following him that he probably wondered a bit about over, the, over those years of ministry. How strange for him to now join with this group that had been with Jesus so much over those three years and begin to see him through their eyes. Not as the, the brother that he'd grown up with, but as the God-man, as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. It must have been very interesting for James to, to, to get, go and talk to Peter. Talk to James the Apostle. To, to talk to the others and, and, and find out the things that they'd observed and seen and, and what, what they'd been taught by him in, in those, those years. And after that, it's interesting, James became a key leader in the church. In other words, the the gathering of those who believe in Jesus for salvation. Uh, there's a list of, of passages there in Acts and in, in Galatians for you, but he's mentioned right alongside the apostles. Talks about, uh, about Paul when he, when he early on made contact with the church after he would, had been converted on the road to Damascus. And in Galatians, Paul says, I didn't see any of the apostles, but I saw James, the Lord's brother. And I think there was something special in that relationship between those two because I think they'd both been so close to the truth all along without really getting it. And then the Lord turned on a light for them and lightened the eyes of their heart, right? So they could see, they could understand and be changed. And so when, when Paul came... He connected with James. Later, when Paul had, had taken his, the ministry God had given him to the Gentiles, he came back to report to the church of Jerusalem. You know who he came to? He says, went to see James, and the apostles were there too. James had poured himself into the life of those who were following Jesus. And he was a key figure, a key leader in the church at Jerusalem. The church that sent so many out. And as the, the apostles all headed off to different parts of the world, it was James that the Lord Jesus used, his earthly, his physical brother, to minister to the Jewish people there at the heart of the nation of Israel. He was a key speaker at the Council of Jerusalem when they were arguing, well, how is it that Gentiles are saved? Do they have to become Jewish first? And James, this very Jewish, Jewish man, says, no. He agrees with Paul. It's by grace. It's a free gift. In fact, Paul says James, along with, with Peter, was considered to be a pillar of the church. This one who, who couldn't really bring himself to believe until after the, the resurrection. His life was changed so much that now he is right at the core of those who believe. And turn to the book, if you would, that bears his name, James. And look at how this man who grew up with Jesus describes himself in James 1.1. He says, James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have said, James, the brother of Jesus. No. No, he didn't see himself that way. He understood fully who Jesus was. He said, I'm, I'm just a bond servant and he is my Lord, my Messiah. He's the anointed one of God. And go to chapter 2, verse 1. 
Here's what he says to the, to the Jewish people he's writing to. He says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think any of you would say that about your big brother, would you? Because you don't have Jesus as a big brother. But James had come to know him not as his brother so much as the glorious one who was his Lord and Master who could command him in any area of his life. And he is the Messiah, the promised one for, for centuries. James had gotten it. His view of who Jesus was was right. And all of those things that might have gotten in the way in the past were set aside. And tradition tells us that, that James continued on ministering there in Jerusalem until he died as a martyr for the sake of Jesus. One tradition says he was killed for preaching about Jesus during the Passover. And I, and I, I took little liberties there with his focus on what Jesus did at Passovers and, and maybe his own fear, his own embarrassment. But how fitting that he had to say, Jesus is the Passover lamb. And it was for that that the, the Jewish people turned on him and, and killed him. But I just want to wrap this up by saying, are you close by but not seeing great power that God has working? I mean, maybe Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 just, just needs to have greater fulfillment in your life. Maybe you've gotten an idea of, of the power of Jesus and, and you're, you're growing in that. And you just need to see greater fulfillment, a greater understanding of, of that power that is yours because you've put your faith in Christ. If that's the case, keep on. Don't be satisfied with where you're at in your understanding of who He is. Maybe you attend church quite a bit. Maybe you have believing relatives and friends, but you yourself haven't ever quite understood that Jesus is God, now raised to life that will never end, eternal life. Maybe what you need to do is let him open your eyes. Let him shine that light in the eyes of your heart so that you can entrust yourself to him, knowing that's absolutely necessary to have the full life that God intends for you now, to have the forgiveness of your sins and, and life on into eternity. That's the case. Today's the day to stop and talk to Jesus because He is God. He hears you in your thoughts. You can say it out loud. You can say it quietly inside your heart. But maybe you need to talk to Him and say, Show me yourself. And He will. I don't think you'll probably see Him visibly like James did. Probably won't hear a voice, but it will come into your heart and your understanding so that you will know that he, in fact, is our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and the one you need to confess to, that you are a sinner. And you need to have your sins paid for by him. And you want to join him in his glorious life that goes on into eternity with all those who have also entrusted themselves to him. Don't just stand near where infinite power is available and let it pass by. There will be a day when you won't have that opportunity anymore. You need to believe in him now. You need to believe in him today.
And if you already know him, be reminded daily, hourly, that that power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you and live accordingly. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. And that's an understatement. Thank you. Thank you for loving us so much you would send your son to to live amongst us, to, to actually die, to take on the penalty of eternal death, to be separated from you because he put our sins on him. He was willing to, to take on death and emerge victorious because you accepted his payment for our sins. Open the eyes of our hearts to maybe see for the first time or to see more clearly today just who Jesus truly is. Give us hearts to worship him uh, in, in our songs, yes, but in our lives especially the way we talk and the people we, we interact with and how we do that and, and how we, we point everything back to Jesus. Help us to do that together, to encourage one another in that as well. We ask in the name and for the glory of your son Jesus. Amen.